Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. Unrequited romance, deep friendship, motherhood, breakups, self-love. Writer, broadcaster and one of Australia's most provocative feminists, Clementine Ford, explores the manifold ways love makes its home in our hearts. In sermon and song, she shows how romantic love might be the least important for us, inviting us to come together and open ourselves up to everything love has to give. Recorded live at the Sydney Opera House for All About Women 2022. fucking nervous so <laughs> that was a very nice welcome I would also like to acknowledge that we are on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and I pay my respects to elders past and present this land always was and always will be Aboriginal and black lives matter Whew, just gonna take a big deep breath <sighs> in the beginning there was poetry captured moments of time, a photograph before the technology had been invented yet, whispers held in soft palms and passed from one person to the next, testaments to the mess of living, that rich, glorious mess and all of its beautiful, pleasurable pain. Through it all, there has been poetry, a line here or there, 10,000 of them at once sometimes, poetry set to music, to dance, to tangled limbs in sheets, tangled limbs wrestling furiously with one another, fingers pressed hard against skin, tense and intense, the calm before the storm. I felt the storm myself for the first time when I was 12, legs astride the rim of the family bathtub, and me gripped in a state of both wonder and abject terror, as if I'd been thrown at great speed from the saddle of a pink porcelain horse. I'd thought I was having a stroke, the burden of anxiety and existential fear that would cause me to self-diagnose a range of different neurological conditions and terminal illnesses over the course of my life, short though I was convinced it would be, having already settled its weight in my brain like a weary dog taking her place in front of the fire for the night. The stroke was punishment for the lust. The terrible hunger I felt inside for the pleasures of my own body, the sins of the flesh, my flesh. The excitement I felt when I watched people kissing on screen, the way I would turn my face and audibly gag when my parents were there as it happened, determined they not know their daughter was a raging pervert. <laughs> the kind of girl who had disappeared into the study when she was only seven years old to write lewd notes on the typewriter, notes that would be torn immediately into tiny pieces and washed down the sink. Dear Miss Smith, I would tap away, heart racing. I will come to your house tonight to fuck you. <laughs> Signed, your boss. <laughs> it was the 80s. <laughs> As the storm and the stroke passed through me, I assessed my body for signs of damage. I could wiggle my toes. I could swallow. I could pat my head and rub my tummy at the same time. Not a stroke then, but perhaps a warning. I promise to never do it again, I whispered to God, thankful to him, for it was a him then, of course, for sparing me and my insatiable lust from the full scale of his wrath. I broke the promise the next day, <laughs> and then again and again and again, until I abandoned it entirely along with God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Another poem, a better one this time. All of human life is a poem. There is nothing and then all of a sudden there are words. Some of it, let's be honest, is total shit. Putin is a shitty poem. Morrison, garbage. Waffling syntax, isolating blokey prose with the occasional lashing of unbearable sentimentality. Trump, Trump is a limerick. There once was a big orange farter who brought about total disaster. His fans hated females and screamed, but her emails. 
but when he was dumped, there was laughter. But so much of human life, the poetry of it, I mean, is rich and beautiful. So, this is annoying because this is, I want this to sit there, but I had some hand gestures, you know, that's, that makes it a bit better. So much of human life, <laughs> the poetry of it, I mean, is rich and beautiful. It is the still of morning, the quiet of a house before bodies stir, and beautiful footfall makes it its way to the stairs. It is dust dancing in a beam of light. It is the swell of waves in the ocean, water that moves under the direction of the moon. She was once part of us, and now she calls to the water like a child to her mother in the night. When my mind is racing and my fear of living is at its peak, I think of the ocean. For 3.8 billion years, its currents have swept across this world of ours giving home to an unknown number of aquatic species, carving landscape out of rock, a sculptor at work. It has been frozen at least twice. For a year during the Hadean Eon, in the infancy of Earth's first 600 million years period, it boiled. One day, the ocean will probably swallow us all whole. And in all this time, this incomprehensible mass of time, no two waves have ever been the same. We are living in a period of great uncertainty, as is true of all of human history. War, famine, pestilence, flood. We're getting the four for one deal, and it's, well, it's a lot. And yet, and yet, in this room I feel love. In this room I feel a desire for connection for a collective attempt to understand why, in the face of such terror and torment, the ever-expanding list of such seemingly insurmountable obstacles, and the assurance at the very least that one day every single one of us will take our last breath and eventually fade from human memory. Why do we still love with such ferocity? And how do we continue to hope in spite of it all? In the beginning, there was poetry. So, my flock, my friends, my lovers, let us begin this Sunday morning sermon with a poem, a tribute to life, to hope, to the wide-eyed optimism of living in spite of it all. From the book of Maggie Smith, let us give homage to good bones. <laughs> life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child bagged, broken, sunk in a lake. Life is short and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole <laughs> chirps on about good bones. <laughs> this place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. I just realised I was meant to start a slideshow at the start of this and I was too nervous, I didn't. <laughs> it's, just, it's just words. In the beginning... <laughs> Slide change. <laughs> Friends, new faces, guys, gals and non-binary pals, you loved ones, you lovers, welcome. Welcome to this very special Sunday morning sermon here at the All About Women Festival, an annual celebration of ideas, politics, art, literary works, and love. Love for progress, love for debate, love for change, love for each other. Goodness, don't we need some fucking love right now? If you've come to this sermon today, I can only assume it's because some part of you, whether great or small, yearns to be immersed in an experience of love. And that makes sense. We're in year three of a global pandemic. The world is literally falling apart at the seams. Scott Morrison is still Prime Minister. <laughs> 
freedom fighters are protesting against the provision of life-saving vaccines because they think the Illuminati want to set up satanic pizza shops in their brains. <laughs> Every day, another white man decides to start a podcast. <laughs> Shit's bad, folks. It's real bad. But this morning, we're going to join together and find a way to feel better, even if it's just for an hour. So let's talk about love. I want to begin with a few easy questions, and don't worry, there's no intimidating audience participation. I just want to raise something, your hand, a walking stick, a voice, whatever's easiest for you, if the following applies. One, who here has been in love? Who here wants to be in love? Who here thinks their life would be better if they fell in love? <laughs> Last one. When I asked those questions, I hope this doesn't backfire on me, who thought automatically I was talking about romantic love? I would have if I'd asked those questions too. Whew, good, that gotcha moment really worked well for me. <laughs> Romantic love, or as I call it, the least interesting of the loves. <laughs> but look, the society that we live in, to enter the feminist proselytizing segment of the sermon, um, the society we live in places such a high premium on the idea of romantic sexual love, and women in particular are conditioned from such a young age to see this as the be-all and end-all of its existence. Heteronormative patriarchy needs women to be in service to it in order to maintain its own power structure. It has systematically succeeded in distracting us from all that life has to offer and experiencing it on our own terms because it's made us believe that the only way we can be truly happy is if we find someone to pick us. Our other half, the person who will complete us, the one we can spend the rest of our one wild and precious life picking up after and organizing things for, so bloody grateful that we don't have to be alone and sad. <laughs> grateful that we can have someone we can spruik on Facebook so everyone knows how happy and lucky we are. <gasps> this big goof, where would we be without this amazing man? <laughs> this unbelievably handsome hero, this absolute genius. We couldn't do any of it without him. Honey. <laughs> Listen, I'm not telling you that romantic sexual love is bad. I'm not telling you that you're a bad person for desiring it. I'm not even saying you can't sleep with or partner with men. Do whatever makes you truly, genuinely happy. But let's just zoom out from individual choices for a minute and look at structures. Let's consider how domestic partnership, and heteronormative domestic partnership in particular, is presented as integral to women's happiness and purpose in life. I'm assuming that most, if not all of you here today, identify as a feminist. Think about the number of times you might have had singledom thrown at you as either evidence of your deep... I was just trying to suppress a burp there. <laughs> Must be the topic. Think about the number of times you've had your singledom thrown at you, or, or not even singledom that you have thrown at you as evidence of your deep-seated issues or a threat that this is what too many opinions will lead to. Oh, you want equal rights? Enjoy your cats, catty baits. You want a world free from violence? Well, that's just because men think you're ugly. I have heard some variation of this my whole life. Last night was the most recent. From Finn Figo on Instagram. Thanks, Finn. From even before I became a public feminist and grew horns, when I was about 20 years old, hovering between adolescence and adulthood, and still about 15 years away from truly knowing who I was, and not just who people wanted me to be. I remember going to the swimming pool one night. I was taking a break in between laps, and I waved at the older man swimming in the same lane to go on ahead. If you can't keep up, you should be in a different lane, he shrieked at me. Why are men never dismissed as shrieking? <laughs> now, at 20, I wasn't quite the firebrand who stands before you today in a fabulous suit, I might say. Thank you. 
the lump of clay was on the wheel, so to speak. And no man was going to screech at me, another word that never gets applied to men, screeching. Least of all at the pool, where I was in a bathing suit. So I retaliated, and I swear to God, in my shock, I literally said something as benign as, calm down. (laughs) All them's fighting words with men. (laughs) We're all allowed to swim here, and you don't have to be so rude. He looked me dead in the eye and said, you can tell you're single. (laughs) Single is supposedly a catch-all insult to identify all the things that are wrong with a woman. Because only a wrong woman would possibly be single. Women with opinions. Women with standards. Women with a bar for behavior that is not as low as the molten fires of the Earth's core. (laughs) These women we can expect to be single. The worst possible fate for a woman, because single women are sad and half-formed. Correct? No. I think we know this is utter bullshit. When I was young, I made the mistake of thinking romantic sexual love would elevate my life in a way that other kinds of love could never hope to measure up to. I felt the sting of that man's words in the pool that day, just as I had felt the sting of all other forms of rejection over the years, and internalized it as some kind of declaration on my own value. It didn't matter how smart I was, how funny, how brave, how loyal. I could climb a mountain if I wanted to. I could learn to fly a plane. I could trek solo across country. I could be told that one day I might stand on the stage of the mother-loving Joan Sutherland Theatre at the Sydney Opera House and deliver a sermon to a room full of joyful, beautiful humans. I could be just like one of the women who have done all of these things, adventurous women, courageous women, women who love themselves and who yearn to eat the fruit of life. But in a heteropatriarchal world, none of these things are thought to matter if at the end of them, you go home alone to a house by yourself. Can I just say, I fucking love living alone. (laughs) I love that the shoes on the floor are my shoes. I love that the coffee left in the pot overnight is my coffee. I love that the bathroom belongs to me, that the bed I sleep in is mine, that the TV I watch is never a fucking compromise, which means I can watch all the trashy, highly saturated reality television shows I like and never, ever have to sit through another season of True Detective ever again. (laughs) And I love more than anything all of the incredible women and friends who fill my life with such joy who enrich my soul, who know me, truly know me, and who give me the incredible gift of being able to know them in return. I say in my book, which is available downstairs at the bookshop, just in case you want to get it, that the desire to love and be loved is really the desire to be known. And week after week, I tell women all over the country, and sometimes even abroad, great word, abroad, that love is about more than just being liked. It is about being known. It tends to be a question most relevant for women who are in relationships with cis men, but a good rule of thumb is to ask your partner or spouse, what do you know about me? Not what do you like about me, but what do you know about me? Because describing how we like someone is so often just an exercise in describing how they make us feel about ourselves. Saying what we know about them is proof that we see them, that we are willing and enthusiastic witnesses to their life that we want to offer ourselves as archivists to them so that other people may know them when they're gone. This is love. I realize now as I enter middle age that the most important love to me and consequently the most important and valuable of lovers are the people who are witnesses to my life and who have given me the great privilege of being a witness to theirs. The women and humans who have been there for me in my darkest moments. My best friend Amy's in the audience and she texted me earlier this week. I said I was so nervous about doing this, and she was like, just remember, people are there, they don't want you to fail, and she gave me some excellent words of advice, and and I feel safe knowing she's here in the room. That's a witness. People who've seen me through separations, motherhood, broken hearts, job losses, and job gains, through mistakes and through triumphs, they are my soulmates, the ones I'll think of when I'm called back to the mystery. 
They are CC Bloom in beaches telling Hillary Whitney, I know everything there is to know about you. And my memory is long, my memory is very, very long. <laughs> well, to these women, I say, I'm counting on it. I am tired of the love that exists in friendships, in true equanimity and simpatico being dismissed as secondary to romantic sexual love, a sort of runner-up in the prize, of runner-up prize in the game of life. You have an entire army of women around you, loving you, caring for you, witnessing you, but oh, it's so sad you didn't get married. <laughs> Fuck marriage. Lord, give me a witness. And because this wouldn't be a proper sermon without a song, I want to introduce you now to the, one of the great witnesses in my life, who has blessed my life by allowing me to be a witness in return. We fell in love with each other more than a decade ago in a summer filled with laughter, music, and far too many, or perhaps nowhere near enough, bottles of cheap sparkling wine. <laughs> if you've read my book, you'll know her as Billy O'Reilly. I know her as so many things, but today I'll introduce her as one of the best performers and most joyful humans and greatest friends working in Australia today. She is one of the enduring loves of my life. Please welcome to the stage, Miss Libby O'Donovan. I love you. Oh, thanks, Clunge. Right. <laughs> now, as any good church service, uh, this, um, this is going to be a him or a her. And, uh, <laughs> which means that you'll need to sing along, of course. I don't know if they're allowed. Oh, are you sing very quietly. Oh, you just muffle along behind your mask. It's fine. <laughs> are you allowed to sing... Yeah, New South Wales has had no rules Sing along. the whole time. It's fine. Put your masks on to sing. Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Oh, love is in the air. Every sign and every sound. And I don't know if I'm being foolish. I don't know. from Libby. Um, wouldn't be a sermon without many songs. <laughs> uh, okay, slide change. Oh. That might be in the wrong order. 
Maybe that's... Anyway, just ignore the slides. <laughs> Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, with respect, it's clear that Mr. Corinthians I didn't have children. When I brought my son home from hospital on the second day of his life, I remember walking gingerly to the bed and placing him in the center of it. I had no idea what time it was, time having already begun to lose all meaning, as it would continue to for the next few months. I looked at him in the middle of the bed, this tiny, fragile, precious creature, and I thought, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> How could someone like me, a selfish, borderline alcoholic writer of all godforsaken people possibly have the patience and kindness to be a mother. Motherhood has taught me many, many things. Some are things I never wanted to know, like how to strip vomit-covered sheets at three in the morning, or what it feels like to give birth vaginally, which, if you've never done it, is a bit like sucking a cantaloupe through a much, much smaller, fun-sized novelty straw. And courtesy of my son's obsession with families who monetize their everyday lives on YouTube, I have encountered more relentlessly excited children with names like Peyton, Leighton, Caton, and Brayton than I would ever have wished to. If anything, Mother has taught me the tragic, terrifying limits of my own patience, not to mention how difficult it can sometimes be to be kind. But I try. Motherhood and the responsibility I have for this tiny human has embedded in me the knowledge that I must try. What is love if not this? The commitment to trying. Now, I don't subscribe to the idea that you cannot truly know what love is until you become a parent. I think it's ridiculous. It's especially used to make women feel bad about abstaining from the demands of patriarchy. Oh, the clock's ticking, honey. You don't want to be a withered old crone without a child to validate her existence. Who'll take care of you in your old age? That's a terrible reason to have children. <laughs> and also a pretty big gamble, considered how many are shunted off to aged care by children who never visit. <laughs> and they never terrify men with the same cautionary tale because, of course, we're expected to take care of them. Because it brings us so much joy. Women and people are not made whole by becoming mothers. We exist in our own right, and our lives are meaningful regardless of whether or not we have children. I never had the burning desire to be a mother. In my 20s, I had two abortions precisely because I didn't want to be a mother. And I was grateful for them, and I have not for a single, single second of my life ever regretted those decisions, and nor should any of you. I don't know that I'm what they call a natural mother, whatever that's meant to mean. I'm disorganized. I never take snacks to the park. My son often eats peanut butter sandwiches for dinner and lunch and breakfast. I hate playing. I hate playing. I also reject the insistence that loving children makes you a better or more evolved person. And I was in chatting about this with Tashani Joshi last night, who is just the most incredible poet. And she made the very excellent point that loving your child doesn't necessarily teach you to love other people's children. <laughs> Nor does it guarantee you'll increase your empathy or compassion for them. Oh, that's where this slide's supposed to come in. <laughs> Personally, I've been profoundly changed by the love I've experienced by having a child. But I was also profoundly changed by the death of my mother and the terrible unmooring I felt through the absence of that love. And part of the terror I feel in parenting comes from knowing what it's like to lose a mother. And I am so scared that this moment will come too soon for him before he's ready to let me go. It's all love, it's just different. What I feel with my son is the grave responsibility of guiding him, teaching him. I am putting a person into the world who needs to know how to see the potential of its good bones. You could make this place beautiful, I say, pushing him towards it. There is grief in loving a child. 
We must willingly sign up to fall headfirst, irrevocably in love with people who we are simultaneously preparing to leave us. I used to think of myself as swimming alongside my son, but then I realized that I must be instead the body of water he swims through. I must be a still and stable presence for him until he makes it safely to a shore of a place I cannot follow. The poet Khalil Gibran calls children the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. He writes, they come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and they bend you with their might, that their arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as they love the arrow that flies, so they love also the bow that is stable. More than anything, the responsibility we have with our children is to love them well. And that means making something beautiful out of their good bones, to teach them right from wrong, to encourage kindness, empathy, respect for community and cooperation, we must be the people from whom they learn and be humble in our acceptance of allowing them to be our teachers too. All children leave us eventually, as they must. Our walking hearts have gone out into the world, and yet still they beat as close to us as our own. Let them walk with honour and courage. Let them go. We now perform from the Book of Sondheim, <laughs> one of our great leaders. Careful the things you say, children will listen. Careful the things you do, children will see.
on time. I've really messed these slides up. No, that's right, that's correct. In the end, there is you. Beautiful, perfect you. You who is living and breathing and loving in a time that has inexplicably chosen you to be in it. You are random particles, stardust and carbon. (laughs) I'll start that bit again. You are random particles, stardust and carbon, atoms all smooshed together in the most random of accidents, sex that happens in the afternoon instead of at night, in the month of October and not July, a quickie before work, or perhaps a longer, more luxurious encounter. IVF maybe, but in the month of May. For whatever reason, in an infinite sea of possibilities, an unending number of possible outcomes, you were born. Billions of years ago, a planetary mass named Thea collided with a floating rock in the universe. So great was the collision that the two bodies merged into one, with a smaller fragment breaking away to circle forever around, shining light on the world. The Earth and the Moon were born. An entirely random planetary event in an entirely random universe, whose size we cannot even comprehend. And yet, here you are. Your existence is as unique and accidental as the creation of the entire universe. You are the Earth and the Moon. You are Venus, the only planet in the solar system to rotate backwards or forwards, depending on how you view things. (laughs) Venus, where a single day is longer than its own year. You are Neptune, where you'll find the fastest winds in our solar system. You are Jupiter, so large you could fit 1,300 Earths inside. Did you know there's been a storm raging on Jupiter for 300 years? How many billions of people have been born and died in that time, sat with their own joy and despair, and wondered why things had or hadn't happened to them? How many tears have been shed? How many hopes have been dashed? How many triumphs celebrated? And all that time, a storm on Jupiter. Despite all of the advances in technology humans have amassed in the short time span of our entire existence, we remain in awe of the simple fact of existence. No matter how many times you've seen one, and despite knowing it happens every day, a beautiful sunset will cause everyone to stop what they're doing and stare at the sky. Did you see that glorious sunset? We text to each other now. You are a sunset. You are a marvel. You deserve to be loved, and you deserve to be loved by yourself, first and foremost. I've been on a journey of self-love in the past few years. I don't mean with my body or my face or wellness or self-care or any of that stuff that's mistaken for self-love. I mean love for myself, for myself, in fact. The multiple versions of me who exist and who have carried me here through the years. These were girls and women I had grown so used to picking on, to teasing, to mocking in public, to hating in private. The little girl version of me whose photo I would sometimes post online and say, look at this unfortunate little thing. Such a little nerd, so ugly. Teenage me whose clothes and haircuts I would laugh at, whose body I would make fun of, whose deep yearning desire to love and be loved and accepted by others I would sneer at with derision. The me in my 20s, unskilled with makeup or clothes and rejected on those bases I felt by lovers because I just never measured up to other women. I looked at all of these versions of myself and I hated them and I made sure they knew I hated them too. But a funny thing happened when I was writing How We Love, available in the bookstore. (laughs) Rather than making snide, casual jokes about the girls and the women I had been, I was forced to spend time with them. 
I sat for long hours with a little girl at boarding school, navigating her way through hostile terrain at only seven years old. I held the 13-year-old who loathed herself so badly she punished her body, starved it, and sailed too close to dangerous shores lined by adult men peering through telescopes for vessels lost at sea. I walked with a 21-year-old with a relapse of that repetitive, intrusive thoughts she'd had since she was little, terrified she was going mad, finally, at last, just as she feared she always would. I cried with a 25-year-old saying goodbye to her mother, trying to figure out how she could go on without her, what that would even mean. And I walked with her as she became a mother herself, anxious and afraid, her pregnancy marked by crushing anxiety and loneliness that comes from being stuck in such a dark place. These women were not my enemies. They were my saviors. I didn't become who I am in spite of them. I am who I am because of them. And I carry them inside me every day just as you carry your own women with you or your people I owe everything to them, and it's my job and my responsibility to honour them because of that, to love them, because they love me. They're inside and they cheer for me every day. I can feel them. I have to cheer for them in return. Soon, it will be my turn to step back into the mist of time, to pass the baton to the next version of me waiting to emerge, to put into practice all of the lessons that we, me and the other me's have learned over the years. She's waiting for me. I can see her there on the horizon with all of the future versions of us stretched out towards the end. Who knows how long we have? Life can end in an instant. In her poem, The Summer Day, Mary Oliver talks about the joy of simple pleasures. A grasshopper lazing in the sun, eating sugar from the narrator's palm, washing her face. I don't know exactly what a prayer is, Oliver writes. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Everything dies at last and too soon, including us. We are stardust. We are a cosmic accident. Blink and you'll miss it, this one wild and precious life you've been given. It is too short and filled with too many unexpected moments of devastation and grief to waste a single second of it hating yourself or the people who got you here. Ada Limon's poem, The Conditional, reminds us of this. I discovered Limon and this poem during the first days of the pandemic, but it has resonance for all of us. The grit and the guts of living, the beauty of it, the absolute privilege it is to be alive. Say tomorrow doesn't come. Say the moon becomes an icy pit. Say the sweet gum tree is, is petrified. Say the sun's a foul black tire fire. Say the owl's eyes are pinpricks. Say the raccoon's a hot tar stain. Say the shirt's plastic ditch litter. Say the kitchen's a cow's corpse. Say we never get to see it. Bright future, stuck like a bum star, never coming close, never dazzling. Say we never meet her, never him. Say we spend our last moments staring at each other, hands knotted together, clutching the dog, watching the sky burn. Say, it doesn't matter. Say, that would be enough. Say you'd still want this us alive, right here, feeling lucky. In the end, there is just you, beautiful, perfect you. We are a series of random events floating on a rock through space, and none of us knows how much time we have to make use of our one wild and precious life, so you better get started today. All I know is this, you're doing a great job. I love you, keep going. God only knows what I'd be without you. 
always love you But long as there are stars above you You'll never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you My heart's pounding, so nerve-wracking singing on stage God only knows what I'd be I might let Libby take the rest of this She is the professional after all like this. It is a privilege to be here at the Opera House on beautiful Gadigal country. I feel so enormously grateful to be able to speak to you this morning. Thank you for coming, for, ha- for coming with open hearts and generous spirits. I love that you gave me a standing ovation. I'm going to tell all the men on Instagram that. Thank you. Precious love is the one thing we have that reminds us how beautiful and lucky we are to be alive. A friend of mine was tragically killed a few weeks ago and her life just ended in a minute. And we had the most beautiful ceremony for her and it was such a privilege to sit there and see people witnessing her life and to hear about the incredible bonds that she had as a community maker, a builder. She was a builder. And one of my other closest friends, family to me really, Karen Pickering, always talks about being builders and not wreckers. Go out and be a builder. Build other people up. Fill their buckets. You have filled mine this morning. I know you filled Libby's and I know she's filled all of yours. So thank you again. Please, a big round of applause for Libby O'Donovan. Um, but I have the Slido here and I just have to announce to someone in the Opera House that I have no idea how to use this. <laughs> I thought I did, but now I just can't find the questions anywhere. So um, I'm just, we're not doing it. We're not doing the Slido questions. Okay, well, then you, you're going to get eight early minutes. Is that... Am I going to be penalised for that? <laughs> she bloody finished early, she did. Lazy. Lazy. Kim Kardashian would not be impressed with me, I tell you. Oh. You know, 
my favorite, my favorite comment about Kim Kardashian and her, oh, don't get me started on that woman. Her, get up off your fucking ass and work. Just be rich, guys. Someone replied to me, I shared it, and someone replied to me, and they were like, when's Kim gonna start? I know people are always like, oh, you know, they work really hard, they work really hard. And I look, hard is relative, isn't it? I mean, do they? <laughs> do they? I don't think so. Uh, now, I'm not a stand-up comic, so I probably can't stand here for seven minutes and uh, <laughs> do jokes, but um, I do have some funny ones. Uh, so I guess we just walk off stage now. Thank you again. Love you. I'll, I'll show the suit off again. Watch this talk and others at All About Women 2022 on Stream, the new streaming service from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching. Follow the Sydney Opera House on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.